0: As as Ken mentioned, I do really want to say thank you for um, sticking with us last week. Those of you who are kind of in that marathon conversation we had, it was a wonderful one. But there was a ton to go over, and and towards the second half, we really focused a lot on what God has been doing through us as a church and what we want to continue to allow Him to do. And I want to thank you for those of you... uh, who decided to kind of adopt that posture, saying, you know, I don't want to simply be a passenger here who sits on the deck chair and kind of cheers on the professional Christians who are in. I'm ready to get up out of my seat um, and be a part, like a crew member, in helping us, you know, giving God permission to use anything that He's entrusted to me, my time, my talents, my treasures, to do whatever it is that He wants to do in and through us as a church. I thank you for that because it is exciting to think about what God already has been doing. And what he's going to be doing in the future. And Robin and I were talking on Monday, kind of debriefing a little bit about uh, Sunday. And she goes, man, Eric, what's crazy is I know you talked forever and there was so much to share. And yet she didn't say it like she was exhausted. A little bit. Right? But it was more just like, Eric... You shared so much, and yet you, I, I just feel like you were just scratching the surface of all we've seen God do this year. And she's absolutely right. We just began to scratch the surface of the wonderful things God is doing. I want to share one more thing I didn't get to share with you last week, and that's because I didn't even realize it was going on. And that is this room up here That's if you go up the stairs up to the top that we used to call the cave, um, We because that's where the guys hang out, it's like the bear den, whatever. <laughs> We are actually rechristening that the upper room, and the really exciting part about that is that's going to become a, a, an area that many of our ministry partners can use, not only for trainings, but also, and this is the really exciting part, for prayer. This is going to become an area where prayer is going to be happening throughout the week, and we're thrilled for just another way that this facility can be used to continue to just go, God, help yourself to our lives and have your way with us. So I want to thank you guys for that, but now what? Right, we've 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 talked about our purpose as a church. We are called to be light, submitting ourselves to Christ and saying, "Just flow through me, so that I, in in relationship with one another, can be light in the sphere of influence in which you've planted me." But now what? Well, if you'd asked me that question three weeks ago, I would have very confidently told you, yeah, "I know exactly where we're headed. We're going to do a series that we're going to entitle." Um, what were we going to call it? Oh, working out our salvation. And it was going to be based off of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, which goes like this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his perfect plan. Um, So that was, and then what we were going to do from there is just this recognition that, hey, it's God who transforms us, but we have a part to play in it. So now let's start working out our salvation. And how can we do that? Well, let's focus on some of the spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that Christ followers throughout the centuries have used and even Christ used to help cultivate that connection with God. And each week, we're going to focus on a different spiritual practice. We We are going to kind of talk about how we can work out our salvation. It's like, oh, this is great. Except... As I sat with it, and as we were working through that series, I just, I knew in my heart that there was something amiss with that plan. And I couldn't put my finger on it until the 18th of January when I took my, the, my first kind of retreat day with God. I am trying to build a regular rhythm into my life where one day a month I set aside to just go and be with God. Um, and I love to, I, I feel like I can hear God's voice better in the wilderness. So I ended up going to the Laguna Wilderness um, and just, kind of took my hammock with me, and just went walkabout for a day. And as I was walking, as I, I kind of allowed some of the stillness and, uh, the, you know, just that atmosphere to wash over me, I, I started listening, and it felt as if God directed me right into an area of my life that I've been avoiding, and that is the fact that although there is unbelievable good stuff going on here, tons of it, it's come at a cost, personally as well as at my home. Because the truth of the matter is as things continue to run quickly and we run at a faster and faster clip as a church, I find myself carrying more and more of those responsibilities heavily and it's not stuff that I can just put down at the end of the day. So first off, I'm staying at the office far longer than I used to. And even when I close my computer and I head home for the night, I'm carrying these things with me just gnawing on them like a dog worrying a bone, just working through them, trying to figure them out. So even when I'm home with my family, I may be physically present, but I'm very emotionally distracted. And in the midst of all of that, I'm finding that there's, there's, as my bandwidth continues to get uh, saturated with responsibility, I'm not responding lovingly to my family. I'm not responding lovingly to my kids. I'm snapping more rather than being able to see them for who they are. And and I'm just going, I know that there's something wrong here, but I just can't figure out how to get my arms around it. And then we get the kids in bed at night. And I'm finding that because I'm running so hard throughout the day, when they're finally in bed at this point, I'm not ready to go to bed because I need to kind of almost let the, the internal flywheel of my life spin down a little bit. So I find myself running to things like my phone to read yet another book. You know, I just have like dozens of books that I've downloaded onto my my Kindle app on my phone and I just find myself voraciously reading to to check out or maybe it's turning on Netflix and watching something on TV to just numb out. And so I'm staying up later at night, which then translates into in the morning. I'm more exhausted so I'm not waking up at 5 a.m. like I like to. I'm finding myself waking up at 6.30 when the kids get out of bed and all of a sudden now here we go again and I lose that time with God. And I feel like God as I was walking through the wilderness just went, Eric, just like Martha, right? You know, you are distracted and worried about so many things but you're missing out on the things that are most important. And as I began to think about this series that I thought was going to be the next series, this working out your salvation thing, I realized that this was just one more Martha-esque response to a series on wanting to grow in our relationship with God. Because really all we would do is we would, after talking about the desire to grow and the fact that it's God who does it, but he you know, does it with our help, we would then focus on a different spiritual discipline, different spiritual practice each week, which would mean that we would spend one week glancing off of this, and then we'd go on to the next one, and we would go on to the next one, and go on to the next one, and we might learn some information about it, but we would never sit with any of these practices long enough for it to actually seep into our souls and penetrate our hearts and begin to actually create any sort of transformation. The information but lack the transformation that we all hunger for, that I desire for myself, I desire for my family, and I desire for my family here. And so God said, hey, why don't you just spend some time with me? Why don't you slow down? And so that's what we have chosen to do. The reality is we run as, as a society, as a people, at such a fast clip that we are constantly hurrying. And by the way, I don't think it's just me, and I don't think it's just us. We as a society are running so quickly that there is now a term for the sense of hurrying, uh, hurriedness that we find ourselves. It's called hurry sickness. And if you were to go on Google and simply Google hurry sickness, you will get pages of results because sociologists, doctors, physicians are all recognizing that this is an issue in our society. Now, let me just show you one of the... the explanations of what hurry sickness is. Can we throw the slide up here? This is from Psychology Today from a couple of years ago. Maybe a little bit small to read. So hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. So you're constantly going places, you're constantly feeling anxiety, and here's something I want us to notice as we read through this. This is not just talking about externally having lots of things going on. This is very much talking about the state of our heart we feel like the flywheel is constantly going fast and we have to keep hurrying. It is an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. I'm missing something, I gotta go. They go on to say it is a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and who gets flustered when encountered with any kind of delay like your kids having a hard day and you find yourself snapping at them because they are not cooperating with your schedule. Like feeling like you can't fully focus on what you've got going on in front of you because you've got seven other things clamoring for your attention so you do everything as as well as you can and move on and you never feel satisfied with the quality of work that you're doing where you rush from thing to thing to thing, and you give people part of your attention, but can, you can never give them your full attention because you have so much, something else to do. Does this sound familiar at all? I know, it's just me. Um, so, so one psychologist has been using a list of questions to help people identify whether or not they have hurry sickness. Let's just see if some of these land home. So can we throw up the next one? So here, here's, here's a couple of things. Will you move from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or is moving faster? Yeah, guilty, right? Um, Will you change lanes into one that has fewer cars or seems to be moving faster? Yeah, 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 weaving. My wife is always like, why can't you just stay in one? I'm like, because that one's moving quicker until I get into it and then it's moving slower than the one I was just in. Do you guys ever, like, count the amount of cars at the stoplight in front of you to determine which lane you're going to choose? And even though, like, okay, this car is, like, a bumper length behind me, which means I can cut in front of him so that I can take the shorter. That's just me. I'm a jerk. I know. Do you multitask to the point where you forget one of the tasks? Have you ever, like, started to send an email? And then move on to other things. And by the end of the week, you're like, why has has that person not responded to me? And then you realize, oh, I never sent the email. I got halfway through it and moved on to something else, checking this, checking that. And all of a sudden, I forgot that I was sending the email, and I just never sent it. Did that this week. My bad. Do you get frustrated when one of your devices needs to buffer? None of us, right? What is buffering? Oh, it's a 21st century issue. I'm pretty certain that most of us struggle with hurry sickness. Most of us struggle or are afflicted with this internal sense of it's never enough. I've got to do more. I've got to keep running. I gotta, I'm losing time, so I have got to rush to do it. But the pace of our life is not the only issue. In fact, just this week, I, I was listening to another pastor who has really... He has been helping shape my understanding of this because I need this just as much as you guys. You need to understand, we're going to spend two months kind of working through this desire to slow down, mainly because I desperately need this. And so you guys get to be along for the ride. I hope that it's as beneficial for you as I I am sensing it is already for me because I'm getting to taste the first fruits of what we're about to go into, and it is life-giving. But anyway, I was, uh, a couple mornings ago... I was listening to another pastor who was sharing about the need in his own, de- his own desire to slow down. And I found myself compelled to just pause the podcast. And I grabbed my journal, and I'm starting to journal again now, which is a really good sign that, you know, this slowing down is giving me space to process. And I just began to write out one of the things I recognize in our culture and in, in my own life that sends, I, I feel like is adding to this general malaise of uh, there's never enough time and I'm always overwhelmed. And so I just want to share with you, this is very stream of consciousness as I was writing this at about 5.15 a.m. So we are inundated by a constant stream of information and distractions that vie for our attention. But we could never hope to press into even a fraction of it. So instead we bounce from thing to thing like a stone skips along a lake, only skimming the surface, but never experiencing the depths available to us if we were to just slow down and allow ourselves to sink in. We skip from headline to headline. You guys ever like think that you you've read the news because you've read all the headlines and so you think you know what's going on in the world? Guilty. We skip from headline to headline, from tweet to social media post. We're ever seeing, but never fully perceiving. Constantly hearing, but never fully understanding. We ricochet off of responsibilities and relationships alike. Expending ourselves to get a taste of everything. But in the end, we're left feeling empty, discouraged, and disillusioned. More than anything, we're exhausted, worn out, beat down, frazzled, harried, and frustrated. Maybe that's just me. We're starving for something deep and meaningful, but we settle for things that are shallow and momentarily soothing. We long to drink deeply from life, but we settle for sipping the froth. We long for purpose, but we settle for a paycheck. We long for intimacy, but we settle for a fling or a video of a fling. We long for transformation, but we settle for information For wisdom, but settle for means. Does it any wonder why we are the most medicated generation in history? Why distractions like iPhone games, internet pornography, and Netflix binge watching have proliferated like mold on stale bread. Jesus said that he had come so that we could experience life that is truly life, but this doesn't feel like life we're living. It feels like a cheap imitation, a distraction. And I, for one, am sick of it. So not only is it a pace of life in which we're running, but it is this overwhelming sense of all of these things that we might miss out on if we can't wrap our arms around it. So we skip like rocks over the stone, or like stones over the, 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 the surface of life, just tasting a little bit, but never being able to slow down long enough to let it sink in and penetrate our lives kind of like my plan for that series, right? Hey, let's try to get through all of these things. We'll just skip like stones over each of those different spiritual practices, but never give them time to actually make any noticeable difference. But what's the alternative? How do we, who are... you ever feel like you don't even realize that this is what you're living in until somebody starts talking about it? Because, like, fish who are swimming in the ocean don't realize that they're wet. This is just the atmosphere in which we live. This is the society in which we're a part of, so we don't even realize it. But what's the alternative to this? If well, you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus gives us a peek and an alternative that sounds so unbelievably life-giving. And what we want to wrestle with today is how can we take hold of this life that is truly life? How can we find rest for our weary souls? And so in Matthew chapter 11... Jesus is talking, he's just interacted with John the Baptist's disciples, he's got people who are coming and going, they're all clamoring for his attention, and he looks at his disciples and he says this in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Some of your Bibles might say all you who are weary and heavy laden, you're carrying around these heavy weights of life. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Yes, please. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just want to camp on this verse or these couple of verses today. I want to begin to unpack what Jesus is talking about. Now for those of you who are are not from an agrarian society where we have cattle and other things like that, let me explain what a yoke is. Um, I I tried to call Cheryl to see if she might have one because she has things like this. But a yoke is just a big wooden bar that would go across the shoulders of a beast of burden. Oftentimes it would be kind of a double one and it would help tie two beasts of burden together and it would be used to help distribute the weight of whatever load those animals were carrying. Or if they are pulling a sled, if they're plowing the ground, the yoke would go over their shoulders and they would pull it together. And, And by doing so, it helps distribute the weight. And Jesus uses the term yoke as a euphemism for his teaching for His way of life, for the worldview that He hands to His disciples who are following Him. He says, here is my teaching. Here are the things I want you to pick up from me. If you want to back up just a few verses, He's laid that yoke out beautifully in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is my approach to life. This is my mindset that I want to percolate into your life, so that you begin to think like I do, live like I do, so therefore you can do what I have been doing. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find what? Rest. Really. Because when I read things like the Sermon on the Mount and I read about turning the other cheek, and I read about going the extra mile, and about not giving in to to my natural tendencies, about celebrating, you know, and not worrying, and about loving others the way I would want them, to, or treating others the way I would want them to treat me, and all those kind of things, they go, I want to live that way. But that doesn't feel restful, if anything. It just feels like more responsibilities and, and stuff to add on to my overly overflowing plate of responsibility. It just feels a little bit more exhausting. It almost feels, somewhat, in some ways, guilt-inducing. And I've been sitting with that going, why is that? Why, if Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and, re- and you will find rest for your weary souls... When I try putting the yoke on my shoulders, does it actually make me just feel more guilty? Just feel more exhausted than I already did because now I've got more things to worry about. And I've realized here's the reason why. Because I'm trying to take that yoke of Jesus' way of life and just put it right over the top of a yoke that I already wear. A yoke that I'm not even aware of being there. And it is the yoke of this world. A yoke that says you must prove your value through what you do a yoke that says love is contingent upon effort or upon your success you got to run 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 because you're only as good as your last performance and so i find myself this yoke of hurriedness this yoke of constantly having to perform is overwhelming and i don't even realize it's there it's just in the background this is my operating system And I take this yoke of Jesus and I try to put it right over the top of it and it doesn't work. Because before we can ever hope to put the yoke of Jesus over our shoulders in any way that can help us to carry life, we must first remove the yoke of this world. This is something that um, Dallas Willard, who is a a man who is far wiser than I am, he was a professor up at USC, um, and he is one that has shaped a generation of, of people around these ideas. This is what he said... We throw the devil's will. Here we go. Hurry. Nope. Go back. Too far. Here we go. That's. Nope. One more. Nope. Did I not give it to you? Keep going. One more. Aha! We have arrived. In this truth lies, lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life. Adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is thinking that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies. Keep going. Going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while at the same time living the rest of our lives just as as everyone else around us does. And it is a strategy bound to fail. We try to live like everybody else does, but just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in. Hoping that that will change us. Hoping that that will be the secret sauce that makes this concoction that is noxious to our souls palatable and safe. And Jesus is basically saying, listen, remove that yoke off of your shoulders. Then follow me. Because you can't have the life that is truly life, the life that Jesus holds out to us without fully embracing his entire lifestyle. And I'm not saying we all have to become carpenters and live you know, in a place without running water and without you know, paved streets, that you're not allowed to drive a car. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is we need to remove the yoke of this world off of our shoulders and instead allow the yoke of Jesus the easy yoke to settle onto our shoulders. I know that it sounds complicated and I know that it doesn't fully make sense yet. That's what these next two months are for is to explore what this yoke feels like, to get used to it, to try it on. And I can tell you that for myself, I'm starting to taste the first fruits and the tenor of my life is changing radically as I'm practicing removing that yoke and just resting in the one that He has given me. And you you guys get this. I mean... You understand that a life flows out of a lifestyle. Let me give you another example. I could could say that I, I really would like to have the washboard abs and the stamina of an Olympian. I would love that. But I forget about the fact that those things are the fruit of a lifestyle that affects everything. I can't have... The, the fruit of that lifestyle without actually allowing that life to become my life. That means that me going to the gym two days a week for an hour isn't going to cut it. I actually need to choose if I wanted those things, if the fruit, the, the life is what I really wanted, I would need to change my entire schedule. It would, it would need to change everything from when I go to bed and when I get up to what I'm doing with all of my time. It would even need to change what I eat. And I've got to tell you, I'd like to have washboard abs, but I really would prefer to have that bowl of ice cream before bed. That's not going to change until my doctor tells me, you know, if you want to live, you need to stop having the bowl. Then, then at that point, we'll have a conversation. But it's not that important. So I, I want the life, but I don't want the lifestyle. And in the same way, we want the life that Jesus says is truly life. But if we're not willing to change our lifestyle, we're never going to experience that life, not in its entirety. Now let's go back for just a moment to this conversation about the yoke that we're talking about. There's this guy, Frederick Buckner. We're having some issues. So let me just go ahead and read it here. That's what we have notes for, baby. So this is a, a guy named Frederick Dale Brunner, who is one of the leading experts on Matthew, gives these thoughts on Matthew 11, kind of explaining about the yoke that Jesus describes here, his teaching. He explains a yoke is a work instrument. Thus... When Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least, right? You're thinking, well, wait a minute. Why is Jesus saying, if you're weary, if you're burdened, come to me, take my yoke upon you and you'll find rest. No, what they really need, we think, is a mattress or a vacation. That's what tired workers need. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. The older I get, the more I realize, and Brandon, I hate to tell you this, but the older that we get, the more you realize that life is hard responsibilities abound. And the older you get, the more responsibilities you find yourself carrying. And it's not all great. I was talking with Don Dickey earlier this morning. I go, how you doing? He goes, boy, getting old is scary. You know, it is hard. We, you know, we, I, I, I watch some of you who are working so hard to provide and your bodies are not cooperating and you're exhausted. And you just go, I can't stop. Because if I stop, then I'm, I'm dropping the responsibilities of my family and, and my, all of this stuff. And it's just like, I see it. And I ache, and I feel the same thing. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, here's a mattress, go take a nap. Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will actually give us more rest than the way that we have been living. If we are willing to remove the yoke of this world off of our shoulders and settle into the yoke of his way of approaching life, at a pace and a posture that he sets rather than our society sets, we will find that although those burdens don't go away, it will be easier to carry them. Now here's the other beautiful thing about this. I mentioned earlier that yokes are typically used more often than not to actually tie two beasts of burden together. You can even have two oxen who are very different in strength, one older, one younger. And by putting the yoke on, it helps the older, stronger one carry the vast majority of the burden while at the same time training the younger one to be able to do what it does. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this section. He's saying, hey, come to me. Come alongside of me. Tuck in right here. I'll walk with you. I will show you how to live life in this sin-scarred world. I'll show you how to situate the burden in such a way that it doesn't overwhelm your soul and destroy your relationships. Come alongside of me. Now... Eugene Peterson is is a guy who took the Bible and kind of said, "I want to just make this accessible to my kids." So he came up with a beautiful paraphrase of the Bible that we know we call the Message. Probably not a good one to preach out of, but a wonderful one to just kind of steep yourself in when you want to set another flavoring. We need to understand. It's not, it's not tied specifically to the words. It's more of almost a commentary on it, but it is beautiful the way he articulates the heart of some of these passages. And I want to look at the way he says it in this one. Can we go to uh, Matthew chapter 11? These verses we've been looking at. This is how Eugene Peterson explains it in the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, so keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that, that term, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. That's a definition of discipleship, isn't it? Come alongside of me. Tuck right in here. Let me show you how to do it. Let me teach you how to live in these unforced rhythms of grace. Allow it to wash over you. Learn from me. Oh, gosh, I want that. But if we hope to walk alongside Jesus, then the first thing we need to do is be willing to slow our pace to match his. If you, if you have any familiarity with the Gospels, if you've read through them, you'll begin to recognize that Jesus never really exhibited a hurried pace. Now, he was busy. He was, very, he was in demand. There were people clamoring for his attention all the time. He was often go, if you read the book of Mark especially, you get this sense, next he did this, immediately he did this. Immediately. There's always activity going on, but Jesus, while busy, was never hurried. He was always interruptible. His disciples, now they felt Hurried at times. They felt that internal sense of, we got to get to the next thing. So as they're walking along, and somebody on the side of the road goes, Jesus, have mercy on me. And they're like, shh, leave me alone. Don't you know how busy? Do you see all the people? Oh, no, you're blind. That's right. You can't see. Let me tell you, there's a ton of people. Leave the man alone. And yet Jesus constantly pulls the e brake on the, the procession, walks over there, gets down on their level, and goes, what do you want me to do for you? engages them. The kids are clamoring. They're like, leave Jesus alone. He can't deal with the kiddies. He's got adults to deal with. And Jesus is like, oh, please, let the children come to me because the, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as them. In fact, you guys can learn from the kids. By the way, there's a reason why we have the kids worship with us in the morning. It's not just so they can learn from us. It's actually so that we can learn from them as well. It goes both ways. Hey, could you imagine... If Jesus is walking through the crowd of people and, and, and he has a place to go because he's got somebody who's asked him, my son is dead, can you come and pray? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm head, I'll go with you, sure, I'll do that. And a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years reaches out and touches the cloak. Could you imagine if Jesus turned around and go, hey, 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 hey i got no time for this. i got some place to go. I'd, I'd love to help, but I can't. And he just turns around and keeps walking. Could you imagine? Or, or, or he sees the crowds of people who are like sheep without shepherds. And he looks at his disciples and goes, Guys, we came here to get away from these people. We came here to rest. Let's go somewhere else. Just get back in the boat. Let's go. No, Jesus constantly. Or, or what about this? He sees the crowds and he's like, Oh, I've got to take a picture and put this on my Facebook. you know, I just got to let people know how amazing i am no jesus that's not his style he was busy but he was interruptible and he never sensed he never felt like he was hurried and yet i find that in my own relationship with him my internal sense of hurry and worry and anxiety and constantly go 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 often hinders me from being able to be present with him Even in my quiet times, my mind is going a million miles a minute. I'm distracted by many things. When I'm reading scripture in the wee hours of the morning before my kids get up, I'm thinking more about, ooh, that'll preach. Yeah, that'll be good. How would I explain that to them? Rather than allowing this to become food for my soul and water for my thirst. It's almost like my relationship with God is for other people as opposed to allowing Him to minister to me before I try to minister to other people. Reminds me of a conversation that John Ortberg, who's this well-known pastor, written a bunch of books, very, very successful. Um, He had a a conversation with Dallas Willard, who was a mentor of his. Dallas was actually, although a professor at USC, was also a part of his church at one point, and so he was leading a Bible study, kind of like Ray leads a Bible study across the street on Sunday mornings now. Um, And Ortberg was part of that Bible study, and he started learning from Dallas Willard, and he became a mentor, a spiritual director in his life. So anyway, 20 years goes by. Ortberg is kind of on top of the world. He's written best-selling books. He is a teaching pastor at Willow Creek, which is one of the largest, most successful churches in the world, right? He's, things are great. From every external perspective, people would say, man, this guy has reached the pinnacle of spiritual growth. And yet, internally, John realized that he had kind of spiritually plateaued he'd hit an impasse and he didn't know how to move past it so he calls up his friend and mentor dallas and he goes "Hi, right, dallas so here's what's going on i feel like i've just plateaued i don't know how to move past it do you have any advice for me what direction would you give me a wise mentor of mine he probably didn't add that last part And John, as he describes this conversation, says that there was this long silence over the phone, which he was used to because with Dallas, Dallas didn't seem to struggle with the same thing I do, which is when somebody asks you a question, you feel the need to answer it immediately. Dallas was actually okay with letting there be silence as he thought about the question. So there's a long pause. And then he hears Dallas Willard say this. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Orthberg's like, ooh, that's good. And he has, of course, because when you're talking with Dallas Willard, you have a pen and paper in hand, right? So he starts writing that down. Hurry is the great enemy. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. That's good. Okay, what else? Another long pause. And then he hears this, there is nothing else. Think about his words for a moment. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual growth in our lives. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I want to reiterate something that I've hinted at throughout this, but I need to make abundantly clear. God bless you, Lloyd. When I use the word hurry, do not hear me saying busyness. They are not synonymous. Jesus was busy, but he wasn't hurried. And we will all find that we have things we've got to do. We all have responsibilities and we can't just expect that the world and all of the demands of life are simply going to disappear. When I talk about hurry, it, our, the busyness and pace of life and all the demands are a symptom of our hurried lives. And in fact, they add to that sense of, I got to keep going because look at all these things, but they are not hurry sickness in our lives. When we're talking about hurry, we're talking about that internal feeling that that even when you're silent and still, the flywheel of your mind is still going a million miles a minute. That's what we're getting at. You must ruthlessly eliminate that sense of got to keep going, going, going. It's never enough. The anxiety, the, the feelings of depression that come with, I just can't keep up. I'm exhausted all flow out of this speed at which our hearts and our minds are going. And that's what we're getting at. Okay, I'm ready to deal with that. What do I do? What's the answer? Right? That's what I'm thinking. What's the answer? God bless you. And honestly, we could, we, I, I could try to give you my best take on it right now, real time, and you could write it down. Put it in your Bible and go back to your regularly scheduled life because I've tied a little nice bow on this question and it now no longer irritates you. But the truth of the matter is this is one of the fig leaves, one of the biggest fig leaves of our culture that we use to cover over our vulnerability, that we use to cover over our feelings of insufficiency, being busy, doing lots of stuff. This is what we use to cover over this feeling that I am not enough. And I hope that what this conversation has done this morning is begin to peel the edges of that back and expose the yuckiness underneath, the stuff that you've been hiding under a patina of of activity. And the worst thing I could do right now is to just give you an answer that you can use like like some super glue to stick that thing back on so you don't have to feel it anymore. Because then you could go back to your regularly scheduled lives and I would have given you information but you would never have experienced the transformation that we're really after. And about the only fruit that would come from that is perhaps a little bit more guilt the next time you realize, boy, I, am I running hard. Eric was right. Oh, I'm exhausted. I'm not and, and the last thing I want to give you, the last thing that we want from this conversation is more guilt. What I'm after. What we are after is l- genuine life transformation. We want to experience life that is truly life. We want to experience rest that comes from getting used to the yoke of Jesus' teaching fitting beautifully on our shoulders so that the burdens of life that we carry around don't feel quite so overwhelming. And we are going to spend the next six or seven weeks trying on the yoke of Jesus, trying on some of a couple of the spiritual practices that Jesus used to cultivate His own sense of connection with the Father and internal peace. We're going to walk through those things, and we're only going to look at three of them, tops, but we'll see if we even get through all of them. We're going to look at silence, we're going to look at uh, you know, being still and, and getting into solitude. And then finally, we're going to look at Sabbath, that Sabbath rest. Those are the only three, and it's not because I was in the S section of, of spiritual practices book or anything. It's because these are a couple of the spiritual practices that we see playing out throughout Jesus' life that he cultivated. And if Jesus leaned into these things, pretty sure that we probably need to lean into them as well. And they're things that we don't experience a lot in our culture. So we are going to lean into them over the next two months. We're going to give them space to breathe. We're going to give them space to just sit on our hearts and begin hopefully to sink deeply and penetrate and, and, and produce some sort of change. And as I've, been, as I've been mentioning, boy, have I enjoyed the difference as I have been starting to slow down. Now, so that's what we're going to do over the next six or seven weeks. But before we get there, we desperately need to begin by trying to shake loose this yoke of hurriedness that probably most of us in this room carry around with us. And toward that end, I have some ideas, some, some practice, practical ways that you might begin just kind of shrugging that thing loose. Here's just a couple of them, all right? These are not, by the way, these are not tasks. I'm not saying it, you have to do them or you will feel guilty. I'm just saying, hey, try out one or two of these. I'm going to give you way more than you can do in any given week, but just try this. Let's go to the list. Or not go to the list. Let's, I got the list. Okay, here's one. Drive the speed limit. Let's try it. I know it sounds crazy, but when you're driving around here, actually go the speed limit. Just see what that feels like. When you're on the freeway, I'm pretty sure 65 is the speed limit. So just give it a try. Second one is very much like it. Try driving in the slow lane. And don't weave lanes, just stay in the slow lane. Now, this is both as a practice for your heart, but this is also to protect you. From all of the other drivers on the freeway who will not be trying the spiritual practice of going the speed limit and who will be angry at you for having the audacity to do so. So stay in the speed lane for your own safety. What else? Um, Ooh, this is a fun one. Come to a complete stop at a stop sign. Even if there's no one else around. Let's try it. Do something crazy like look around when you do you'll be shocked at how many places you've never seen that you've driven by a million times you're like oh that place i wonder what they do another show up 10 minutes early to an appointment and then don't pull out your cell phone while you wait that's a fun one <laughs> walk slower so so this is an ongoing issue in my marriage because I have this tendency to be about five or six feet ahead of my wife. Uh, whenever we're going, I'm always in a hurry. And she's always like, Eric, what's up? Your legs aren't that much longer than mine. I'm back here. She makes fun of me because when I'm holding her hand, I have this tendency to lift my hand like this to try to, like, get her to go faster. And she calls it T-Rexing, right? So she's like, Eric, you're T-Rexing right now. It's like, So I've been trying on this posture of walking slower. And again, it's kind of like worship, right? Is this a solution? No, but sometimes the posture of our body actually affects the posture of our heart in the same way that when you raise your hands or you kneel on on the ground, the posture of our body leads our heart into worship. So all these things are is just, hey, here's a different posture. Try this on. See if it works. So I've been trying on the posture of walking a little slower. A couple Fridays ago, we had just dropped the boys off at school. And we're, we're leaving. And I have nothing to do that day because it's a Friday. That's my my day of rest. Kathy has a, a breakfast appointment with a friend, so she's feeling a little bit more urgent. And so I'm I'm just chilling. I'm just walking. I'm looking at, like, bushes that I'm walking by. Like, oh, that's a pretty bush. Oh, they cut that one back a little far, right? As I'm walking, Kathy is five or six feet ahead of me. Mmm. And she turns around like... What are you doing? I go, oh, I'm just practicing walking slower. I kid you not. She goes, yeah, that's nice. Just not today. (laughs) She took two more steps and goes, okay, I'll walk with you. It was awesome. So I'm just telling you, people around you might not appreciate it, but it is good for your soul. Um, Choose the longest checkout line, not the shortest. Let somebody else go in front of you. Just see what that does to your heart as you do this. (laughs) Monotask. Here's a a word we don't ever hear in our culture. Rather than doing multiple things at once, try doing one thing at a time. I came home a couple of weeks, uh, uh, just a couple of days ago, actually. It was Monday. I'd finished writing the message, and I'm just like, I just want to kind of be. And so I came home, and it was like 3 o'clock, and Kathy was about to go get the kids, and and, and so she had just left, and she had left me lunch, because I typically just kind of go, and I put my head down, and I run. So I I hadn't eaten. There was lunch there, and I had a new book that Dee had just given me that I wanted to read. And so I said, I'm going to take my lunch, and I'm going to take my book, and I'm going to go out to the hammock in my backyard, and I'm just going to lay down, and awesome, right? But I've just written about taking things slower. And so, okay, I'm going I'm to try, multi- try monotasking for once. So I got out and I laid down in the hammock and I chose to eat my meal first without doing anything else. And I actually chose to chew my food entirely before I swallowed it, which is another thing you can try on that doesn't come naturally to us. So I'm laying there in the hammock and I would take a bite of food and it would take me I don't know, 42 bites before that thing was not, you know, ready to be swallowed completely. And I found that as I laid in the hammock, chewing the food, I started getting overwhelmed with gratitude that I was eating a meal that somebody who loved me had prepared just for me. And I was overcome by gratitude. And I would not have felt that had I been reading a book at the same time as eating and just like throwing it down. So I ate my meal. It took me about 20 minutes to eat through that bowl of food, which it probably would have taken me five minutes normally. And I laid there, took a sip of water, and then I pulled out the book. And then I began to uninterruptedly read through it. And if something came up, like a phone call happened, which did happen, I put the book aside and fully engaged in the phone call. Could I have let the phone call go to voicemail? I could have, and that would have been okay but I chose to engage in the voicemail so, or in the, in the phone call. So whatever you do, be completely present in it. If that means that you're checking emails, then only check emails. Don't check emails while listening to a, you know, a podcast while at the same time trying to carry on a conversation with your kids in the room or your sweetie. That does not happen. That's not good. Or if you're, if you're watching a movie with your sweetie, just watch the movie. Don't play Candy Crush at the same time or check sports scores or do other things. Just be present. Do one thing at a time. How about this one? Lobotomize your smartphone. Make it a dumb phone. Here's what I mean by that. If you want to know what I mean by that, it is stripping away everything out of your phone. This, this is probably the greatest source of noise in our lives. Jeff's going to talk a little bit about this next week. Begin to remove the distractions from it. The things that are constantly popping up and buzzing in your pocket and making you go, oh, if you want to know more about it, I don't have time to go into it, all you need to do is Google, what is it, um, Distraction-free iPhone. Just Google that and you'll find articles on how to strip away some of the things that are our greatest distractions in life. There are many a times where I I think about Jesus' statement, um, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away because it's better to go through life maimed than to go to hell. And I think about how often this feels like an appendage that quite honestly causes me to sin, causes me to be distracted, causes me to not be present, and how how many times I thought I just need to cut it off. But what if we could strip away the distractions from it? So lobotomize your smartphone is one.
1: And then finally,
0: my favorite, buy a hammock. Oh, it's heavenly. Probably the best investment I made last year was to get one. I take it whenever I go walk about um, I found a place that I can put it in my backyard. Because when you have a hammock, if there's two trees, you have paradise in your pocket. You can just put that thing out and you can just find some uninterrupted quiet time. It is great. I just gave my staff, all of them gave them a hammock this week and said, use it. So those are some of my ideas. You don't have to use them, any of them. Do you have other ideas? I want to hear This is the interactive portion of our conversation today. Anybody else have an idea of a way that you could slow down? Yes, Wendy. Ooh, turn off the radio either at home or in the car and beast. Drive in silence. That's a good one. Yeah. Bill. Well, your third time, six six minutes, six, mm. I'm never going to end those six minutes. <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh, that's good. Robert. Like they say, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you could listen twice as much as you speak, right? Stephen. Practice mindfulness. What do you mean by that when you say mindfulness? Uh, Practice being fully present. Thinking about, actually listening to the conversation that you're in rather than thinking about how you're going to respond. We're going to be talking a lot about that in the coming weeks. Yeah. Tommy. Yeah, one of my favorite practices is when I when I have questions or conversations with God, I'll actually journal my question and then I'll stop and wait. And when I f- sense Him saying something, I'll write down what I'm hearing, placed on my heart, and then I'll write the next question. And I actually have conversations I've had with God, and some of the most powerful times of journaling have just been interactive things where I'm writing down what I'm hearing Him sense. So actually, listen. Don't just throw out your laundry list, but sit and listen. For a response. That would be awesome. Any others before we move on? Yeah, Shelby. Oh, get off of social media. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Actually, listen to how listen to the whole answer when you've asked a question. Hear someone out. As a parent whose children don't do that right now, I could probably model better for them. So yeah, last one. Breathe correctly. So how do you breathe correctly? Well, all right. I got some practice to do. Thank you. These are are wonderful. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. These are some of the ideas. You can be thinking about others. In no way is it an exhaustive list. But the invitation for us this week is to just grab a hold of one or two of these things and begin to just shuffle our way. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward because we're going to respond um, for a few moments. But this is an invitation for us just being shrugging out of the shackles of the yoke of hurriedness that we all find ourselves in. Taking a a rest in a hammock like this. Who, Who needs... I'm gone, huh? Who, who who needs some real rest here, Tommy? Yeah, we gave you a hard time this morning, so you absolutely need some rest. So I love you. That's a hammock. Yeah, yeah. So, Father God, we 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 are busy and distracted by many things. We are running after a ton of things, and quite honestly, Father, we need rest we need to rest in you. So would you help us to do so as we spend a few moments just allowing the truth of what you've been sharing with us this morning and I believe that this is from you because man, I need this and I, it has been ministering to my heart. Would you help us to be more than just ideas that are compartmentalized and the moment we walk out of here we move on to the next thing. Would you help us to become aware of the yoke of busyness and hurriedness and and agitation that we currently wear? And help us to find rest. Help us to prepare ourselves to try on the easy yoke. And to walk alongside of you, tucked in under your arm as you show us how to take hold of this life that is truly life. And we want to respond. Maybe the best way for us to respond right now is just to sit here with our arms out and our hands open wide, resting on our legs and just saying, God, here I am. I offer myself to you. Perhaps it's getting down on our knees. Maybe it's asking for prayer. And I know Pastor Jeff will be in the back. I'll be in the front. And uh, if you need prayer for anything, we're here. But now let's just rest in his presence and invite him to be with him.